Hello, I'm David Fife, Chief Economist with Argus Media. And I'm Hai Gugaratz, Associate Editor with Argus Media. Welcome to an episode in our China Connection mini-series. The series examines China's rising presence in global commodity markets, and this episode focuses on the ongoing trade war between Washington and Beijing. What are some of the causes of the dispute? What does it mean for the global economy and for energy markets? And how likely is an imminent resolution? The China Connection is brought to you by Argus, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity price benchmarks. Today, over $600 billion worth of bilateral trade between the US and China is now subject to tariffs. As a trade dispute that began some 15 months ago, uh, looks like it is worsening. Washington is going to host uh, this month more talks aimed at finding compromise uh, for both sides, but the initial signs are not that promising. And this month we'll also see, coming out of Washington, the IMF's next World Economic Outlook, which many expect will start to reflect the impact of trade war on the 2020 macroeconomic outlook. We're here together today to discuss the causes of the trade war, its impact on commodity markets, and potential routes to resolution. Um, Hike, let's start on the impact of the trade war as far as we can see it so far on the energy and commodity markets. What do you think? The first impact, a visible impact, if you will, is uh, on U.S. exports of energy products into China. And that by itself may give you uh, an idea of what the structure of trade was uh, in recent years. So U.S. was exporting a lot of crude oil and LNG and uh, NGLs together with other energy commodities to China. So uh, primary sources, if you will. And uh, of course, importing uh, mostly manufactured industrial goods uh, that created a trade deficit. Trump is focused on a trade deficit, but the immediate impact of this war is uh, the energy exports to China have dried out completely. Um, so the uh, U.S. was exporting something to the tune of 400,000 barrels a day in the first six months of last year before the start of tariff wars and they went down to zero uh, once there was an improvement in trade talks went back up to 150,000 barrels a day in the first six months of this year uh, but starting in August uh, we uh, see China imposing 5% tariff on US oil and it dropped down to zero right away same goes for LNG, same goes for other energy commodities. So that's, that's something measurable and that's something uh, that can be seen by the exporters. However, that's not all of the story. Uh, the bigger uh, story is uh, the macroeconomic impact from this war because these are the world's two largest economies and this has an impact on demand globally and in both countries. So probably have a better idea of uh, how to translate that into oil demand figures. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Hike. The impact on oil and gas flows out of the US into China has been very dramatic. Uh, we should bear in mind that um, as a percentage of China's total crude and, and gas imports, you know, US supplies were probably three, four percent. 
but I think probably looking forward, it, it's much more about the potential for that market for US suppliers and the concerns must be there uh, for a lot of these projects that were designed to leverage off growth in Asian energy demand uh, in, in years, years to come. But you're right also, I think the, the, the impact uh, that this has, and, and let's face it, uh, we, we hear that in fact uh, the US is also extending tariffs uh, to the European Union. And the IMF, uh, in a, uh, an intermediate note after its last uh, World Economic Outlook, estimated that trade wars, if they exacerbate and get worse, could knock anything up to about 0.8% of global economic growth uh, in, in 2020. When you run that through a sort of typical oil demand model, you get an impact on 2020 oil demand globally of anything up to half a million barrels per day. Now that may not, may not sound very much, but in a, a, a 100 million barrel per day market, it's the last half a million barrels per day that really tends to set the price and, and determines really whether the market is well supplied or undersupplied. So that, just the trade war on its own, coming at a time when we're heading for cyclical macroeconomic slowdown is clearly something that is a very, very big concern. And it is a concern that uh, ought to be on any economic decision maker's mind, uh, not just the energy industry. But here we are and uh, we are looking at what could actually happen in talks. Are you optimistic about that? the talks in the next month? I'm not, uh, and uh, not because of any public statements to the contrary. We, we hear quite a bit out of Washington, of course, out of the White House. It usually runs the gamut of it's uh, China wants a deal badly or you know US will not accept a deal. But it comes down to this. Uh, uh, these talks are highly, highly centralized. There are two key decision makers you know, President Trump on the U.S. side and President Xi on the Chinese side. And that's quite unusual for a U.S. trade negotiation. Uh, you know, you have USTR, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, one of the well-run uh, agencies of the government that tended to take the lead on this. Uh, but the China file, so to speak, is very, very firmly in Mr. Trump's hands and you have his pronouncements that usually move the market one way or another. So China wants tariffs to be gone, to be removed. U.S. wants something more uh, comprehensive, a uh, reduction in uh, intellectual property theft, a reduction in what the White House sees as a structural cause of deficits, which is Chinese restrictions on U.S. company activities in, uh, in China, and a host of other issues. It's a comprehensive file. It grows more comprehensive daily. We have an impeachment inquiry going on on the House side that somehow fits into this conversation. But again, it comes down to Mr. Trump and Mr. Xi. Uh, the two will next meet in November in uh, Santiago, Chile, uh, at the regional conference. So if, if there is any movement, I think uh, that might be the date to watch. But I think what you say is, is very important. It's not just about the bare number of 400 or 450 billion worth uh, of trade deficit, which the US runs with China. It's also about these very stringent 
basically revisions to China's industrial policy that the Trump administration is effectively asking for. And their, their position, of course, is emboldened by the fact that there is a fair amount of cross-aisle uh, consensus about the need to do something about China and its industrial policy. So it's kind of difficult to see either side backing down. I mean, if we had to think about an end game to these to the trade war, uh, what what do you think are some of the scenarios that, that that represent an end game for this? The current base case for me uh, is uh, maintaining these tariffs in some way at current uh, level and uh, consider that to be the new normal. So you will have. Uh, $650 billion in bilateral trade subject to tariffs uh, in one way or another, you know, 25% uh, between 5 and 10% on the U.S. side. And, and once that happens, that will be sort of, again, the new normal. U.S. trade deficit with China somewhat declined this year together with the rest of the trade. But uh, overall, U.S. trade deficit has not. So... Uh, essentially, if trade deficit is the goal, U.S. is transferring its trade deficit with China to Southeast Asia and elsewhere. Mexico is now the U.S. largest trade partner as a result. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for U.S. trade in uh, oil and LNG. U.S. oil and LNG exports continue pretty strong, but instead of going to China, it's going somewhere else. So that's that's one. I think that's the baseline in in the next year. Optimistically, you know, this is a scenario that probably every uh, energy industry insider, executive, exporter hopes for here, at least in U.S., that the tariffs are gone, that we, we go back to where we were in July uh, 2018, and the two countries continue to discuss various things, and uh, it's looking quite unlikely. Fortunately, we have even worse scenarios to consider where, you know, this, this trade war escalates and uh, more tariffs are in place, and then it, it becomes this sort of cycle of uh, retaliation, and so more numbers for you to crunch to figure out uh, yeah. how much even more it can go. No, and it's the, the timing is all because it, it's happening at a time when we have, as I said, the cyclical slowdown in the global economy, and it, it really just acts as a drag on activity. And all of the the key indicators out there of global trade, whether it's a container freight or air freight or or total merchandise trade over the last 12 months, have been heading into negative territory. So this is just something that worsens the situation. Just to end up, really, what what would you say are, are two or three of the key barriers that need to be surmounted? before we can we can find a, 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 or maybe they can't be surmounted, uh, before we can resolve this issue? One is quote-unquote structural. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that uh, has come up quite a bit in these uh, trade conversations. And it is something to do with the structure of the Chinese economy that essentially is a mix of state-owned and uh, private enterprise and hard for uh, investors to break in it, it creates this perception that the game is stacked against a foreign participant. And of course, this is something that was a drag on Chinese growth and this is something that where Beijing has been trying to address for some time. Um, so the biggest barrier would be this perception of trade as essentially 
very mercantilistic exercise where a trade deficit is a disease and the way to cure it is by tariffs. And it's quite a remarkable change, I'm sure you'll recognize, not just in history, but uh, in just the last decade that uh, there is this uh, potential view. You know, you, you, can, you can probably look and see where uh, this might go, but one point to emphasize, as you said, there is a wide political consensus here in the United States that you know, China uh, needs to change its ways. I mean, whether it's fair or not fair, uh, it, uh, we don't have time to talk about it, but I think uh, there is a broad consensus here in the United States that somehow something needs to be done about these trade deficits. And the, the flip side of the coin, of course, is that we have a, a very assertive, relatively new Chinese leader in Beijing who's out to re-establish the position of China within Asia. And, of course, the, the whole... Uh, things we'll be talking about in future episodes of the podcast, whether it's uh, the Belt and Road Initiative or territorial issues uh, within Southeast Asia, a very assertive Chinese leadership, which seems equally un- unlikely to back down on some of the, the big issues that the US is asking for it to change in its industrial policy. So we're sounding a little bit pessimistic here. Uh, it's a little bit of a down note to end this podcast. But thank you very much, Hike. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, David. And uh, look out uh, for the the next edition in our series of of podcasts on China and the, the commodity markets. Bye for now.